Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Pierre Abelard once said, The beginning of wisdom is found in doubting. By doubting we come to the question, and by seeking we may come upon the truth. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for this fine day? Well, Rick, our question is, do my doubts mean I don't have faith? Our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 and 31. But seeing the wind... He became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? All right. Do my doubts mean I don't have faith? If you doubt, you must not have faith. So goes the typical thinking of many Christians. If we adhere to this thought, well, then each of us and every one of us will need to brace for our next crisis of faith, because the fact is, we all doubt. We all question. We all wonder, and at times we all second-guess. So, what of it? Is there a way to look at our questions and insecurities in a different light? Can those nagging thoughts that swirl about in our minds actually be a benefit? Yes. Yes, they can. And I am saying this without a doubt. Once we understand doubt and its different forms, we can begin to piece together the process that can actually take those insecurities that silently and incessantly gnaw away at us and use them as tools to feed and increase our faith. Admittedly, this is not easy, and it may not even be fun, but it is an answer to the debilitating experience of doubt. Faith can win. And Jonathan, I think that's the big thing. Faith can win in relation to doubt. Well, Rick, this is a unique subject. What brought you to this subject? Uh, that's a good question. And I think what brought me to this subject was somebody saying, that's it's what it was. It was somebody writing in and saying, you know, if I, if I, I have a lot of doubts, does that mean I don't have any faith? Oh, so someone literally did that. Yes. Yeah. This is a subject I don't, I don't ever remember talking about. Well, there's a lot to talk about because <laughs> it's really, really a powerful thing. So, so first of all, let's establish that doubts always come to us in two primary ways. And you might think, well, this is oversimplifying it, but this is a way to understand and deal with the issue. There's two primary ways that doubts come to us. Always come back to these two things. And we're going to be quoting a couple of lines from an article, uh, I'm Doubting My Faith by Jim Burns, and it came, came from a website called Ignite Your Faith. So Jonathan, the, the two things, the two focuses or, or, or sources of doubt, go ahead. Number one, Intellectual questions. 
In this case, people's doubts come from questions about what's true and what's logical. People who have intellectual doubts often have questions like these. Why should I believe the Bible is inspired by God? Okay, so something that is a thought, thinking, conclusion-provoked doubt. You're trying to think something through, and you've got a legitimate question that says, eh, I don't know if I can believe this because, or why should I believe this, or I don't have enough information, or something like that. Emotional questions. Next. These questions often come from hurt or grief. The emotional doubter may actually ask questions that are similar to those asked by the intellectual doubter. The difference is that emotional doubters are not easily satisfied with intellectual answers. Well, why? Because their problem is not intellectual. It's usually about their wounded feelings. Okay. And Rick, uh, uh, I got a problem. Oh, gee, what we just if, started, what if, Jonathan. How can you have a problem? We just started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a question. What if we continually add God's word to our minds, but we're influenced by teachers who misinterpret and lead us to error, such as unsound doctrine, say? Oh, okay. So you're saying, what, what if I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm, I'm filling my mind with God's word, but I'm being led down the wrong path? And I'm doubting, is this accurate? Is this good information I'm receiving? Well, that's a really good question about doubt and managing it, and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that in the next couple of segments, folks. So this is an important question because we need to recognize our doubts and not just push them aside and say, well, it's embarrassing to have a doubt. You've got to bring your doubts to the surface. That's an important one that needs to be brought to the service. So coming up in the uh, next couple of segments, we'll be getting to that particular question. So Jonathan, thank you for your problem. That's a good one to have. <laughs> I mean, it's not a good problem to have. It's a good one to no, talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to a soundbite uh, from Should Christians Have Doubts from Impact 360 Institute. And it's kind of uh, just kind of putting doubt on the table to get us started. The Bible is reliable. Or is it? What do you do with doubt? Good Christians do not have doubts. You're not a very spiritual person, are you? How dare you question God? You ask too many questions. You must not be saved. Is it wrong to doubt the Bible? Well, what is doubt? It's your mind trying to learn, adjusting its grip on truth. As you move through life, some of your ideas about reality become more firmly positioned in your mind, while others become less certain. These need to be examined from time to time. If they're reaffirmed, they're inserted back into your belief system. If not, they're thrown away and replaced with a new, updated understanding. So the brain's quite a computer, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delete, yeah. add to. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, Rick, uh, can personality and experience... Um, add or reduce doubt in our lives? Yeah, you know, and boy, you're full of good questions before we even get started. This is good. Yeah, it has an, an immense amount to do with our management of doubts. And that's why always go back to that first basic question. Are my doubts intellectual or are my doubts emotional? Now, in that last soundbite, he was talking about intellectual doubts. 
Right. He was talking about doubts that were based on reason or lack of reason and saying, you know, if you don't get the right answers, you're going to throw something away and replace it with something else that makes more sense. Intellectual doubt. We're going to get to uh, uh, emotional doubt in just a minute. But yeah, personality, background, experiences, all of those things have enormous amounts of, of influence on our managing doubts. And some of us are naturally far more prone to doubt than others. That's true. And that's okay. See, that's the beauty of this is that's okay because there are really sound ways to put this all in perspective. Okay, so intellectual questions and emotional questions both cause doubt. Facing any doubt can only be done through clarity and conviction. Okay, so we're, we're going to be going back to those two words throughout the podcast, clarity and conviction. Clarity is achieved when the mind is fed a steady diet of scriptural truth and sound teaching, kind of contrary to your first question. And mm -hmm. then conviction can only be engaged when our clarity has taken root within our hearts and has begun to grow. If we, and we're going to try and understand clarity and conviction as we go through the podcast, we're going to develop those two aspects because these are places where doubts can be managed and handled and turned from things that, that break us to things that make us. So they can work together, clarity, conviction, but could they also work against each other? Uh, see, by definition... Know if you're in the right place. And okay. we, we'll have to be careful about that because right. sometimes you can think you have clarity and you really don't. Then what do you do? Okay. That's a whole, whole different area. But let, let's get some practicality here. Okay. To our intellectual questions and emotional questions, which both cause doubt and clarity and conviction. Even the greatest among us can have doubts. John the Baptist, Jesus said, one of the greatest born among men, he had doubt. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 23. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Okay, let, let's pause there, because I probably should have said a little bit more uh, context there. So Jesus is preaching. Where is John when he sends these disciples of his to Jesus? Rick, he's in prison. Okay. Yeah, Herod put him in prison. He's stuck there. Okay, so John the Baptist, the powerful prophet of God, the prophet who was, was, was spoken about by some of the last words of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, said that this prophet's going to come and proclaim in, in, in the same way of Elijah and proclaim, you know, pave the way for the Lord and all of that. This powerful prophet is actually doubting. Now, Jonathan, his doubts, do you think they were emotional or were they intellectual? I would say they're emotional. All right. And let's talk about that. Why, why would we say that? Why would we say his doubts were emotional? Well, he had been given God's spirit and he, he had done a great work and brought Jesus into the public eye. I mean, this is Messiah he right. introduced. So why the doubt? All right, and I think the answer to why the doubt is his success did not meet his personal expectations. See, John expected the Messiah to save them right then, and here he was in prison. 
So he's sitting in a place where he, he expected Jesus to come and bring victory. He didn't understand all of the suffering and the long period of time before the victory would appear. He even heard God's voice when he baptized Jesus. This yeah. is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right. And he's doubting. Right. But see, now his doubts are emotional, and I don't believe they're intellectual, because he heard God's voice, because he had God's spirit, because he had done such incredible work on behalf of the Lord's will. So cause, if we look at it for a cause of emotional doubt, and we look at John's experience, Jonathan, what, what would be some causes for emotional doubt for John and for us? Lonely and harsh experiences that are far outside of our expectations. Lonely and harsh experiences that just don't meet our what we expected. Have That's you right. have you ever gone through life, you know, and 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 you wake up one morning and you say, "Wait a minute, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not absolutely. the way, you know, this is not the way my life is supposed to have turned out." Oh, absolutely, Rick. That actually happened to me when I hit bottom in life. It was uh, debilitating, uh, but by God's grace, that lonely, harsh experience that I went through led me to my newfound direction, changed my life completely, and I'm very thankful, but it was hard. It, it hurt. And emotional doubts do, and they are debilitating because they hurt so much and they cause so much second-guessing in our minds and that, that, that feeling of wanting to give up. So how do you deal with, how do you manage, how do you combat emotional doubt? Two ways, clarity and conviction, all right? Clarity com to combat emotional doubt. Attempt to reset your perception of reality. You know, you're in a bad situation and you are emotionally wounded by your experiences. Lots of us go through that. We're emotionally wounded. John the Baptist was emotionally wounded by his experiences. So what did he do? He sent help. He oh. said, hey, you two, go talk to Jesus. Right. I have a question here. I, I need an answer. <laughs> so he, and, and that's how I really think his doubts were emotional, not intellectual. He knew to go reach out to get help. So again, we, we started with... Um, John, uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 23. You got through 18 uh, and 19. Let's go to 20 and 21. When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. See, it's interesting the way the scripture is written because it says... John sent them to Jesus and they asked him, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And then the scripture says, at that very time. So while those representatives of John the Baptist were in Jesus' presence, what was he doing? He was healing and they witnessed it, Rick. They right. saw it. They were watching. Now, it's not like they hadn't seen it before, but they were being again reminded in a very dramatic fashion what was happening. So they saw this. So that can help to bring conviction to neutralize emotional doubt. Apply the true reality and follow it. See, the clarity, John sought clarity. And the first thing Jesus did is he gave John's followers clarity by doing what he always did, being Messiah. Healing. Right. <laughs> Amazing. And so now the conviction will come 
in what Jesus said, because Jesus didn't just leave it at clarity, didn't leave it at, here's an emotion, here's a, here's an intellectual response, uh, tell him what you, tell him what you observed, but he says, no, here's what I want you to tell John, verses 22 and 23. And he answered them and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So Jesus' response is going to give John conviction again. Go and report to John and tell him I said this. Tell him this is what you have seen here. Prophecy fulfilled. Yes, yes. So not only did John the Baptist fulfill prophecy in his actions and activities and all the things that he represented— but Jesus continued to fulfill prophecy, and he reminded John by showing John's representatives and then by giving him that conviction that, let me put my arm around him. Tell John these words. These are my words. That's that emotional hug, if you will, the, the, that, that helps John to get that emotional doubt back in order. So this puts us in a perspective to begin to understand this thing. So sometimes good old straightforward fact-checking, as we saw earlier, can help our emotions to put doubt away. Sometimes that does work, but being alone in a harsh experience can really throw you off. What more can we rely on to overcome? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Finding more tools in the fight to reel in doubt is always appropriate. The great news here is twofold. First, Jesus set the pace and went through like experiences as we do. Second, God provides us with a myriad of promises to walk us through every conceivable scenario of challenge. All we have to do is claim those promises as our own. So first, Jesus did it. And secondly, God understands that we're faulty and gave us a load of promises to help us deal with our, with our doubts. And we need those promises because he knows us well. Yeah. We, we need that support, and he's, he's filled God, his word with those promises. And we're going to get to many of them as we go through this discussion, yes. this conversation about doubt. So, so, Jonathan, let's go to Faith and Doubt by Greg Tonkinson. This was a TED Talk. Uh, Greg is a, uh, a minister. I don't know what denomination. And he's sharing a very personal, very difficult experience of his own life that led him to deep, grievous doubts. But rather, when this car became a knotted configuration of plastic and metal, I was at home with my three children. It was a rather uninteresting Saturday evening, best I can recall. Kids were in the living room playing, dad was watching TV, when our evening was interrupted by three knocks on the door, and the rest played out much like a movie. Good evening. Are you Greg Tonkinson? I am. How can I help you? Sir, my name is Officer Prather. This is one of our child case workers. This is one of our police chaplains. May we come in? 
Sure. What can I do for you, officer? Sir, is your wife Leanne Tonkinson? She is. Why? Sir, you may want to sit down for this. No disrespect, officer. But if you need to tell me something, just go ahead and say it. Well, sir, at approximately 7.45 this evening, your wife was killed in a car accident. She was at a stoplight two miles from here and was hit from behind. Best we can tell, her neck was broken upon impact and her passing was immediate and painless. But, sir, we are so sorry for your loss. Nobody ever wants that knock on their door. No, they don't. Uh, it doesn't matter the amount of faith, the amount of experience, the amount of maturity, or anything. Nobody ever wants that kind of difficulty. And you can imagine what's coming in his story. Uh, because for he had three small children, and their mother was just taken away in an instant for no good apparent reason. So that's going to be a cause of huge, huge doubt, and we'll unfold that story as we go. So, Jonathan, we've been talking mostly up to this point about emotional doubt. First, as we go, we, we, we looked at John the Baptist in the first segment. Now, let's look at Jesus and his solo battle against the dark influences of doubt and question. This is when he's baptized by John, and he goes off to the wilderness for 40 days to fast and pray. And then Satan comes along with temptations. And this is either the second or third temptation uh, in that experience. Luke chapter 4, verses 9 uh, to 13. Let's just do 9 through 11 to start with. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus, one of the Gospels indicates that these temptations came along seemingly toward the end of that 40 days. Okay, so tired, hungry, and alone. Jesus was now confronted with a scriptural promise quoted to cast doubt on his focus and his mission. Wait a minute, Rick. You mean on top of being tired, hungry, and alone, Jesus was listening to Satan quote scripture and trying to really throw him off and confuse him at his weakest point? Um, that's pretty crafty. It is. It is. It's very crafty. And, you know, you can, when you're dealing with somebody with the strength of Jesus, you A, want to get him right at the beginning. And B, want to get him at his weakest possible point right at the beginning. You just want to take away the challenge before it even has a chance to gain momentum. That's crafty. And that I think that Jesus could only have been tempted emotionally. I don't think that he had intellectual doubt here at all. And I think we know that by the way Jesus answered Satan. Again, Luke chapter 4. Now let's go to verses 12 and 13. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until another opportune time. Okay, two things in that, in that scripture right there um, that are important. Jesus answers with scripture. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and pr proper cl clarity in that. <laughs> right, right. And, and we're going to get to that a little bit more. But, you know, the other thing is in the Luke account, and I believe it only appears in the Luke account, it says when the devil had finished 
every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So in other words, you talked about crafty. Mm-hmm. The devil tried again, tried and tried again and tried again. He tried three times, three different ways, with three different kinds of temptations, fell flat on all three and said, okay, not going to get him here, but I'll be back. That's crafty. Watching, yes. waiting, looking for opportunity, looking to plant a seed of doubt. Because, you know, Jonathan, with somebody like Jesus, that's the only way you could possibly think of overcoming them is you have to plant seeds of doubt and let something grow from the inside out because you can never get them from the outside in. Wow, Satan was doing everything he could he was. to stop Jesus in his tracks. So, so there's a really important principle here. How did Jesus face temptation and doubt? He was a student of Scripture. Do not make the Scriptures your students. See, that's what Satan did. Satan took a Scripture misapplied it and quoted it to Jesus with authority. Jesus, being a student of Scripture, took another Scripture, applied it correctly, and crushed the misapplication. For us to be able to manage our own doubts, we need to learn to be students of Scripture, not make Scriptures our students. Jesus' fatigue didn't win. His clarity remained because he knew the Scriptures, and his conviction endured. See, Jesus knew it was a misapplication of Scripture. He didn't hear and say, wow, that's a good promise. Maybe I should be applying that promise here and now because the promises were there for me. He knew that. He knew the promises were there for him, but he knew they were there for him in the context of God's will and God's way only. That's how Jesus combated doubt in this particular circumstance. Okay, let's go back to faith and doubt from Greg Tonkinson. Remember, he just got news that his wife was killed in a horrible, horrible car accident. He's got three little kids. And so on March 6, 2010, myself along with 10-year-old Caden, 6-year-old Bailey, and 4-year-old Malia began our journey of life without our wife and mother. It's been a journey of grief that has been burdened by an assortment of emotions including rage and anger, joy, hopelessness, frustration, even moments of serenity. But what has made this trek so especially demanding for me is that I'm a man of faith. Not casual faith, but a faith that has defined me for over 30 years. A man of the cloth, if you will. My current occupation my academic achievements, the way I raise my children, all have at their nucleus faith. So what do you do when your faith has been traumatized by such a traumatic event? What do you do when doubt enters into the middle of your faith? That's really what he's saying. And his story is going to unfold about doubt traumatizing his faith because of that experience. And Jonathan, one of the big answers really is the promises. Okay. You know, first, you know, we wanted to look at Jesus and his solo battle against dark influences of doubt and question. But secondly, we need to realize and acknowledge that the promises that are written in the scriptures can help us counteract our doubt in our lonely and harsh experiences. And we are primarily focusing on emotional doubt at this point. So when we doubt, what's a good promise to say, okay, let me put this promise in place. How about Ephesians 2.10? 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, so when we doubt, one of the things that we need to be able to repeat to ourselves is those first few words of Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. God is making us, Rick. Yes! (laughs) Yes! And that is such a powerful thought that God is, we are his workmanship. He, you know, Jonathan, I used to build fine furniture way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you have to understand about a phrase like this, we are his workmanship. When you would work, when I would work on something that was intricate, whether it was carving something or, or, or cutting some joinery that was very complex or something to that, that effect, it would, it would be at the top of my mind all of the time how to get this done right. You know, I once, I once built a harmonica case for somebody, and he had 52 harmonicas, and he was a performer, and he said, I need to have access to all 52 at once. I want this case to be a beautiful thing, and I just, it, it needs to, I, and so he's like, how do you do that? And it was a problem. And to be able to work the workmanship, I just went into a tunnel of thinking about it. I'll never forget it because there was a, a problem. How do you get 52 harmonicas accessible all at once? And I was sitting at the dinner table. I was only 21 years old at the time. Sitting at the di- di- dinner table, eating, eating dinner with my family, and, and uh, had some blocks of wood that I was just playing with on the side. And all of a sudden, the, the answer just flashed into my mind. And I looked at my mom and dad and said, I got to go. And I ran downstairs to the workshop because there was the answer. When, we're, when, you, when the workmanship is something key, that craftsman, God, pays close attention. That's a powerful promise. That is, Rick. When we feel alone, what's a good promise for that? Psalms thirty-four, eighteen: The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. All right. God is near. I mean, think about what that promise is telling you creator of the universe is can be near us if we allow ourselves to be near him so jonathan we have jesus example and we have promises what if those things are not having enough positive effect in our lonely and harsh experiences what then well rick i was thinking that the support of the brotherhood uh, with fellowship uh, singing hymns music lifts the spirit raises it up really is important in my life prayer of course and meditation and the thing about meditation is you have to be careful proper meditation not the worldly focus of uh, meditation they're kind of opposites true meditation asks god for help and looks for answers from prayers to receive strengthen and give us direction the other kind of meditation worldly meditation you, you empty your mind of all things. And I'm going to be really to the point. You're susceptible. You're opening yourself up to evil and even possibly demon possession if you let down your defenses. And that's a warning for those that don't know what true meditation is. It's thinking. It's questioning. It's looking to receive information to move forward. Right, and receive information from godly, righteous sources. So, Absolutely. 
fellowship and meditating on the Word of God in the proper way. Those are things that we can pile on top of looking at Jesus' experiences and looking at promises, because sometimes doubt is overwhelming. So now let's take a few minutes and look at intellectual doubt. This next James scripture uses the most common New Testament word for doubt, and Jonathan, the word, we're not going to try to pronounce it, that's just a lost cause. Uh, (laughs) But what does the word mean? Rick, it means to separate thoroughly, withdraw from, or by implication, oppose, figuratively to discriminate, by implication, decide, or reflexively hesitate. So separate thoroughly, withdraw from, oppose, or hesitate. That's the word that is used for doubt in the following scripture, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But if he asks in faith with any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And Rick, when I uh, first um, came uh, into the Lord, I went to my first Bible conference and someone walked up to me and said, what can I pray for you uh, in your brand new Christian walk? And it just took a second and it hit me. Um, I need wisdom. You know, I have a lot to learn uh, and, and I need spiritual insight. That's what I need r- right away. And they said, wow, that is something very good to pray for. And, and James is saying that, you know, if you find yourself needing wisdom, ask God. But he says, but don't ask in a doubting manner. Don't ask in a, in a separate thinking manner. In other words, two, two, two lines of thought going at the same time. So perhaps this doubt that James is talking about is caused by not knowing as much as you could or not acting on what you should have known already. See, intellectual doubt causes retreat or hesitation. Emotional doubt often causes a debilitating stop, okay? Intellectual doubt often causes retreat or hesitation, and it can cause us to turn around if we don't get the intellect satisfied. So um, James is saying, don't let yourself ask with doubt within, in a, in a two-minded kind of way. Verse 7. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And we did a podcast just a few weeks ago, I think, on double-mindedness. And that, that would be a good dovetail for this uh, in, in terms of, of understanding. But when James says, ask in faith without doubting, what he's saying is, ask in faith in clarity that this is what I'm really wanting to, to find and to, to accomplish through this particular prayer. So results of intellectual doubt. What, what are the results? This isn't good, but what are the results of intellectual doubt? Well, Rick, it's separated thinking or uncommitted thinking. Separated. In other words, two lines of thinking going on at the same time, or our thinking is uncommitted. Dear Lord, I need wisdom, and if you would just please give me some wisdom, because wisdom is what everybody's telling me I should have, and wisdom sounds really good to have. (laughs) You know, if I had wisdom, I guess it would be pretty good. That's uncommitted. (laughs) You know, it's that focus that James is saying, don't pray without that focus. Get clear. You know, intellectual doubt gives us an inability to receive blessing and enlightenment. We cut ourselves off from blessing and enlightenment when we are experiencing intellectual doubt. So we have to understand that emotional doubt has its way of turning us the wrong way. Intellectual doubt also has its way of turning us the wrong way. So really, both emotional and intellectual doubt 
can have absolutely dire consequences. They can. So the remedies must be clear. Does intellectual doubt respond to the promises of God in the same way emotional doubt does? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Intellectual doubt does respond to God's promises, but perhaps in a different way. Intellectual doubt needs a clear why or how, while emotional doubt requires powerful assurance. In any case, all doubt needs clarity, which is more, uh, which is more intellectually based, and conviction, which is more emotionally based. So, Jonathan, we're working with four words primarily. Intellectual, in terms of doubt, emotional in terms of doubt, clarity in terms of the remedy for doubt, especially on the intellectual side, and conviction as a remedy for doubt, especially on the emotional side. But I will submit to you that you cannot remedy any doubt without both clarity and conviction. Okay. Okay, You need to have both. Maybe more of one versus the other, depending on your circumstance, but you need both to be in place. Uh, let's go back to the the original um, sound bites that we were starting with from Should Christians Have Doubts from Impact 360 Institute? And uh, they were saying, remember, what is doubt? And when they were saying that, they were really talking about intellectual doubt. So they're going to follow that pathway of dealing with intellectual doubt. But is it okay to question the Bible? According to the Christian worldview, God has revealed himself through the Bible and through the natural world. Because God is a rational mind, the natural world is structured in a way that's accessible to rational minds. Thus, humans, created in his image, having rational minds, can approach the natural world rationally, asking good questions and searching for answers. In the same way also, the Bible, being an expression of God's mind, is structured in a way that makes it accessible to our minds. So, humans can approach the Bible rationally, asking good questions and searching for reasonable answers. You know, Jonathan, I was thinking about that as I was listening to the soundbite. One of the reasons many people seem to come to Christ, if you will, and then kind of fade away is because they come on an emotional basis and they don't feed the intellectual side of it. They don't prove the, the, the scriptures for themselves. They don't find truth. They just find peace and happiness. It's great to find peace and happiness, but it's not, if it's not based on truth, it's not going to last. That makes sense. So we need clarity when we have doubt, especially in intellectual doubt. Clarity to combat intellectual doubt. First, practically a, a way to, to, to make clarity, put clarity in position to, to combat. Okay. First, practically compare who and where you were before Christ to who and where you are now after being called. See, the call itself provides personal clarity. Rick, this is huge. I love this point. That gives strength to help you move forward. It's like a paradigm shift from, wow, look where I was before. Look where the Lord has brought me today. So instantly, 
that that brings you up. Yeah, and you know, certain questions by being asked can begin the doubt dissolving and dispersion process. This is one of those questions. It is. Where was I? Where am I? Wow, what a difference. Mm -hmm. You're right. That can give you that instant paradigm shift to just change the way you're looking at something to begin a process. That may not just do it. And for most right. of us, it probably won't. But it's a good start. And you have to start. And we and folks, here's the thing. In order to make progress, we have to start with clarity. Now look, sometimes with emotional doubt, I'm gonna jump ahead for a second here, but sometimes with emotional doubt, you need that arm around you and somebody to cry with and all. And, and that's understandable and, and very, very important. But until you gain clarity, all you're doing is feeling better for the moment. So clarity is so important, especially, uh, well, with all kinds of doubt. Let's look at a scripture on this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So what this is saying is, okay, pause and consider where am i where was i and how much better off i am i because i have begun to follow christ now maybe i've fallen down maybe i've had experiences that have caused me to ask questions intellectually maybe my faith is being challenged you know and jonathan what you one of the first questions you asked was you know what if you're in a situation where maybe you're being fed error instead right. of truth and your faith is being challenged well you've got to ask yourself okay do I believe that God has called me? And if so, how, how much progress have I been able to make by God's grace? So where am I? And then he says in this verse, you know, what you want is like newborn babies. Look for the pure milk of the word. So look for those basic fundamentals that are scripturally provable. And if you're not hearing doctrinal teaching that is scripturally provable, you ought to be listening to something else. And that, that, that may sound harsh, but that's how to put yourself in a position to be able to, to, to combat doubt. So first, practically compare who and where you were to who and what you are. Second, realize that you did not sign up for vacillating uh, and commitment to half measure. That's not what the contract to follow Jesus is. Oh, you know, <laughs> you can take your time about it. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if you decide to go off on a tangent for several weeks or months, it's okay. That's not what you signed up for. James 1, 22 to 24. But prove yourselves doers of the word, but not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at the natural face in a mirror, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So these are good remedies in terms of intellectual doubt, okay? Not emotional necessarily, but intellectual doubt, because you're feeding yourself something concrete. Long for the pure milk of the word was the first scripture. Here, prove yourself a doer of the word. That's concrete. What is a doer of the word? Let me study that and find out further. Let me see if I am actually living the word of God instead of just spouting it off and being able to say it on Sundays. Those are concrete ways to take intellectual doubt and say, let me challenge my doubt with scriptural thought, scriptural conclusion, and then scriptural activity. Does that make, make sense? It does. It really does. Okay. So 
all that being said, I mean, it's great to do that. And intellectual doubt is, you know, got to deal with it. We all have it at, at times. Let's go back to the story of faith and doubt with Greg Tonkinson. And remember, um, he is now in a situation where he is suddenly uh, a widower raising three small children. What do you do? How do you do it? What do you do when you earnestly begin doubting the very subject? And that's with a capital S that you've been promoting your entire adult life. One of the conclusions I've arrived at is this. When we talk about faith and doubt, I believe that honest doubting can be a normal experience for a person of faith. I think that's what makes this issue of faith and doubt so complex. Much more complex than the well-intentioned but rather insubstantial comments the kids and I received in the days that followed the accident, telling us that we were going to be okay or that she's an angel looking down on us. I believe that this complexity is derived from these fascinating brains we have. Brains that will spend the days that follow such a dreadful event trying to piece everything together as if somehow we could prove in a courtroom setting that the event shouldn't have taken place. And well, if that's the case, then history would have to be reversed and our suffering would cease. And so we contemplate and wonder, we fixate, we become consumed with the what-ifs. You know, and, and he's describing one of the processes of grief. And uh, again, we did a podcast recently on managing grief and really would, for, for those of you folks who have doubts as a result of traumatic loss, really encourage you to look at, listen to that podcast as it really puts these things in perspective because you need to understand the process of grief and we also need to understand how to manage doubt overall and, and generally speaking. So we talked about clarity to combat intellectual doubt, you know, comparing where you were to where you are, realizing what you signed up for, what you didn't sign up for. What about con conviction to neutralize intellectual doubt? Wh what about that, Jonathan? Well, Rick, knowing that we are driven to a higher standard. So conviction has to do with action. Clarity, in my mind, clarity is firmness of thought. Conviction is the fire of action. So we've got clarity, the firmness of our thinking, and then conviction, the fire of our actions. Zeal. Right. And the fire of our actions has to be based on clarity. Otherwise, it fizzles out. It doesn't have the power if it doesn't have the clarity. So that conviction, uh, knowing that we're driven to a higher standard, good, good, good promise for that. Again, precious promise of God. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. God is looking at you. God is listening to you. We can be assured that he hears us in our need to grow, change, and gain spiritual wisdom. That's a powerful, powerful conviction for us to, to, to step up the fire of our action based on uh, the clarity. So, Jonathan, again, another question. Knowing what Christianity's call requires of us is really helpful. Doubt fighting is a really helpful doubt fighting step. What else can we do to deepen the clarity of our mission and inspire even deeper conviction? Well, Rick, uh, consistent study, prayer, 
And testimonies, I think, is important of how the Lord is teaching you lessons in your Christian walk. And then as you testify to the brotherhood, you get feedback from them to make sure that you're spiritually focused and not fleshly thinking about your experiences. And another neat way is observing others in the way. Um, But then this one other point, you ever hear of Ebenezer experiences, Rick? Yes. Well, I found out that that was found in 1 Samuel 7 when Samuel um, was going up against the, the Philistines and it looked like they were not in position to win. God sent thunder against the enemy. That thunder just confused them and Israel had the victory. And what Samuel did is he stacked stones one on another to remind all of the Israelites of what God did for them that, that battle because it was just a miracle. But what for us, it's looking back in your Christian walk and saying, oh, do you remember when the Lord protected us here or he overruled this experience? We saw his power change something in our lives. Don't forget what happened. See how he cares for us. Right, right. See, that's not, that's not pride, that's praise. Yes. Because we're praising God's deliverance in our lives, and we should remember it. And when we have doubts, remembering past deliverances can be very inspiring to help put ourselves back in order. So very powerful thoughts about the Ebenezer experience, as well as further study. Always trying to fill ourselves with the right things. Let's talk about doubt, another doubt example in Scripture. Thomas. Now, Thomas the Apostle often called Doubting Thomas again. He gets a bad rap for this, okay? <laughs> he, he, does. he does, okay? Thomas's doubt about the risen Lord is another example of intellectual doubt, all right? Now, look, most doubt is a combination of intellectual and emotional, but it's driven by one or the other. So it's rare to have doubt that's purely intellectual or purely emotional. What we have to underlie, understand is what is the underlying factor? Is it primarily intellectual or primarily emotional? In Thomas's case, this was intellectual doubt. And I'd say that with firmness because he needed evidence, as we will see. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas is emphatic that he needs physical evidence. So that's intellectual doubt. How does Jesus alleviate Thomas's doubt? Well, let's go to verses 26 and 27. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. So the clarity to combat that intellectual doubt was pretty easy. Sometimes the proof sought for overwhelmingly appears and in thomas's case it overwhelmingly (laughs) appeared now what's thomas's reaction verse 28 and 29 tom thomas answered and said to him my lord and my god jesus said to him because you have seen me have you believed blessed are they who do not see and yet believe 
So it's interesting because Jesus gave him exactly what he needed and then gently expressed to him, you know, you had the opportunity to have that conviction even before I appeared directly to you. Blessed are those who can do that. So it's, it's interesting. He, he feeds, he cures the doubt, but he tells him you need to grow a little bit. So conviction to neutralize intellectual doubt. Once the intellect is satisfied, conviction can plow forward. Intellect has to be satisfied for conviction, for the fire of action to be able to plow forward. So let, let's go to another promise here, Jonathan, because again, with intellectual doubt, just like with, with emotional doubt, the promises of God can help us put things in order. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So you look at that promise, and the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I'm confident that God can do what he said he was going to do. You know? In each and every one of you. Right, and we are his workmanship. We are, we are a special custom-designed project in the hands of God. And he is building our characters precisely to what we have the potential to become. He's not building me to look like you, nor is he building you to look like me. But it's saying, he who began a good work in you, Jonathan, will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. The apostle is saying, God's got this in your specific particular life. And Rick, one of my favorite promises that I cling to a lot is, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Um, I'm relying on his strength and power instead of myself. And, and that's such an important thing. His strength, his power, that gives intellectually, that can satisfy us. Sometimes emotionally we might need more, and we'll get to that uh, coming up. But intellectually that can satisfy us. So one thing here is, is very, very, very clear. God understands the human frame and gives us tons of ways to fight doubt. What a relief. But here's another doubt. What if we have a history that reflects a lot of doubts? How do we face it and learn? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. All right, the idea of having a history of doubts is a very difficult question for many. We look back on our experiences and, and we see the flaws. We see the faith that was immature. We see the poor judgments. And all of this can bring in a whole new level of doubt. The good news is thinking about these things can also bring a whole new level of faith as well. So let's go to a before and after accounting of the Apostle Peter for perspective and answers. Because, you know, sometimes we look back and say, yeah, I just, I doubt a lot. And, and, and you know, I, oftentimes, Jonathan, those of us who are more emotionally based will fall into that particular category. And now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're saying, well, somebody who's emotionally based is weaker? No. Nope. 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 Absolutely not. It simply means you process things in a different way. That's right. And to deal with and alleviate your doubts, one of the things we need to do is to recognize what causes the bulk of our doubts 
and then act in accordance with the remedies. If you are an emotional doubter, giving yourself intellectual remedies is not going to help. It might help a little, and eventually it's going to take root, but you need something else. See, dealing with our emotional doubts will help us to feel better. Dealing with our intellectual doubts will help us to think better. Well, guess what? You need both of those to progress. How do you do that? That's where we're going uh, more in this segment. So let's go back to uh, Greg Tonkinson first and uh, his story about doubting. And remember, he said, look, you know, how do you, what do you do when you, the core of your faith is shaken by such a traumatic experience as for him, the loss of his wife and the mother of his three little children? And I found myself with my highest grievances levied against none other than God Almighty. A uni unilateral prayer I had with God five days after the accident, as was recorded in my journal. Dear God, the pain that's beginning to set in right now is so intense. I can't see your goodness. I know you're near, but I don't want that. I want my wife back. I wanted us to grow old and to die and to experience heaven together. So what happened to that plan? Why was that plan so wrong? And why do you find it so appalling for me to want to watch my wife love on our kids for a few more years? And now that you've taken her, God, when's it my turn? And how awful would it be if you decided to take me home and leave our kids without a mother or a father? You know, I give this, this Greg, Greg so much credit for being so honest mm. with the grief and the trauma and the, and the frustration that just swirled aside in his heart and his, swirled around in his heart and his mind. He just, you don't know what to do. And a lot of times we take it out on God, you know, and, and you say, God, you took her. You didn't have to, you know, but you did. Now what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to raise these kids without her? What am I supposed to do? And Jonathan, the depth of such doubt and grief is just enormous. Heartbreaking. And it's not the kind of thing you can just go and put your arm around somebody and say, look, it's going to be okay. No, no, definitely not. I mean, sure, you can say that, and that's nice, but please, don't, don't end it there. That should be just a, a, a scant introduction to your engagement in their lives and to your listening and to your supporting in all kinds of different ways. That's such a hard, hard thing. Mm -hmm. So let's go, we're going to go back to doubts, uh, doubts of emotion again. Uh, we're going to use a, look at another word for doubt in the New Testament. There's about five basic words for doubt in the New Testament. We're not going through them, you know, mathematically or anything, but this next word is simple. It means to duplicate or to waver. When you duplicate, it means you have two different things going on at the same time. Peter, the Apostle Peter walking on water. This was a doubt of emotion, okay? Not a doubt of clarity, I don't, uh, of, of intellect, but a doubt of emotion. And this is the before picture. Remember we said we're going to look at a before and an after picture here of the Apostle Peter. So let's go to his walking on the water, Matthew 14, 26 to 33. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. So now look, Peter's faith is intact 
as he sees only Jesus, and he ignores the impossibility and the storm. Okay? He has clarity, he has conviction, and there is nothing in his way. What great faith, Rick. Yeah, yeah. Clarity and conviction to combat emotional doubt. Okay? What's next? But. Oh, okay. The word but. <laughs> All right. You know, we just was so good. <laughs> but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Okay. So Peter's clarity stayed. Now, how do we know that he stayed clear? Well, he said, Lord, save me. He, he focused as he was going down. <laughs> so he reaches to Jesus. So his clarity is still there, but he got scared. Like you said, his conviction wavered as he allowed fear ascendancy. Fear took over, but his clarity made him have the instinct of reaching toward Jesus. Rick, that's really interesting. I never looked at this experience in that way, but it's powerful because he kept his focus on Jesus. Yes. I, I never saw that before, but it makes so much sense. It's so powerful. Yeah, he, he turned away for a moment, began to sink, and then refocused, and now he's in really deep trouble. You know, no pun intended, but he's in deep <laughs> trouble, okay? Uh, you know, let's go back for a moment, and, and, and it's kind of difficult, but let's go back to that prayer that uh, Greg Tonkinson was sharing in his TED Talk, Faith and Doubt. Because uh, remember, he was basically saying to God, you know, why are you doing this to me? I don't understand. I'm just, I'm just not getting it. This is too big, too harsh, too painful, too, too, too far off of a God of love that I know. So let's just hear how he continues through that prayer. You couldn't have changed your plan by one minute? One minute, and that stoplight wouldn't have been red. One minute. So no, I can't see your goodness. All I can see is you allowing my wife to be killed. All I can see is you allowing my kids to live without a mother. So how wrong is that, God? That's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> Questioning and arguing with the God of all creation. And I think I would have been swallowed up in that doubt had it not been for the many examples I found while reading, ironically, the Bible. So he begins, to, well, first of all, he acknowledges, that's not a good place to be. But Jonathan, sometimes that's a place that we end up because of the, true. of the trauma of our experiences. Absolutely. And, okay, if we end up there, what he says, what he did to, to, to rectify it was to stay in the Scriptures. And you said that right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And you keep bringing it up study more, focus more. And so he says he looked at the examples of Scripture and, and those in Scripture, and it, and it helped to strengthen him and it helped to stop accusing God and begin to try to understand God. And there's a big difference between those two places. So very powerful experience in dealing with doubt and that remedy of filling your mind, getting your clarity, so you can get your conviction back in order. Back to the Apostle Peter, okay? He had this doubt of emotion. He started to sink. Jesus saved him. So, Jonathan, here's a question. 
This might be a trick question too, okay? Okay. <laughs> Did Peter fail or succeed in his walking on the water experience? And what can we apply to our own doubts from Peter's? Well, based on what we learned, uh, I guess he succeeded halfway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Well, we need to keep our clarity strong and know our conviction can fail us, but we need to get back up. Jesus was a perfect man. Peter was not, which all of us uh, can relate to. That's why we love Peter so much. And also the lesson of forgiveness helps us start anew. Rick could explain accepting forgiveness, I mean, I'm talking really accepting forgiveness, help us with doubt. See, the way you describe that is absolutely the, the, the core of the matter. How often do we say, yes, I know I'm forgiven? And we say it in sort of a matter-of-fact way. And Jonathan, in my personal experiences and dealing with other Christians and their ups and their downs in life and so forth, um, one of the things that, that, that impresses me is that's one of the, the places that we end up going when we have trauma in life. Yes, I know God's watching over me. I know I'm forgiven. And then, you know, part of my response to that is twofold. First, to say, well, then, are you living that forgiveness? And sometimes that is a harsh challenge. So then it's to say, let's talk about that. Let's see if we can figure out how to do that. So it's to sort of put the clarity in place and then give them the conviction by being a friend alongside as you're trying to help rebuild confidence instead of doubt, confidence in God. Um, so it, it's an important it's an important aspect of this whole thing. You know, so, you know, did Peter fail or succeed in walking on the water? You said halfway, you yeah. know, and, you know, and I think I'd give more than half. Three quarters. <laughs> yeah, well, because you know what? And, and Trish just dropped me a note that said, it's really simple. She said, I quote, he was the only one who got out of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and there's power in that. He did. He had clarity. Intellectually, he knew and he understood. He just got scared by the circumstances. And that's what created the doubt. And that's why Jesus said, why did you doubt? Why did you have a, a dual mind, you of little faith? Not you of bad faith, but you of faith that has not just grown up yet. Fast forward in Peter's life. And we're going to come to his grown-up faith and how powerful it became. But first, there's a great quote here from Christopher Reeve. A hero is someone who, in spite of weakness, doubt, or not knowing the answers, goes ahead and overcomes anyway. All right. That's a hero. You might be weak. You might have doubt. You might not know the answers, but you move forward anyway. See, that's conviction. That's, and you don't get conviction, Jonathan, without clarity. Conviction is not emotion. Okay, see, that's the thing. Oftentimes, we want to emotionally repair our doubts, our emotional doubts, with more emotion. No! Repair them with clarity and then base your actions on the clarity. Not, it's not about fixing your emotion with more emotion. It's just not, not going to work. It's not going to last. The Apostle Peter was charged with dealing with one of the most difficult things that Jews of the time would ever have to deal with. 
there were serious intellectual doubts that he had to face and conquer when Gentiles were, were invited into the call of Christianity. And you remember that uh, the Apostle Peter was the, the, the Apostle through which the Gentile door of, of, of Jesus was opened. That's right. Absolutely. And he was given a vision. Remember the vision? Oh, yes. With the animals coming down from heaven and, and, and God, and Jesus says to him, you know, eat. And Peter says, no way. I'm not doing that. I've never done that in my whole life. Those are unclean. And, and he's told, what I have made clean is clean. So and God did this three times, yes, Rick. Yes. Three times for him. So now let's drop in on Peter after he has seen that vision, because this would change everything in Christianity. Acts chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius appeared at the gate. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them. Okay, accompany them without misgivings, without that, that, that dual-mindedness, because I've sent them. So Peter was utterly obedient to the vision. If anything ever gave him cause to doubt, it was the message that God was now giving him. I want you to go uh, and do things that were never, ever, ever in the history of Judaism considered good or clean or right. I want you to be able to go do those. And I want you to go take a walk with these Gentile people. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and, but, and it was not some little thing. He was, he was thoroughly convicted by his Jewish faith, and he built his Christianity upon that Jewish faith, and now he was being told by God, there's even more, and you need to walk away from parts of that Jewish faith. And without misgivings, besides um, without opposition, it also means without hesitation. Right. Right, without, without hesitation. So, so his ability to overcome his own well-founded doubts led to his having strength and leadership to help others with theirs. So he goes, he goes to see Cornelius. Cornelius and his household are converted to Christianity. It is unmistakable that God's grace is with them now. And now he's back in Jerusalem, and uh, he's not being met with a lot of great positive pats on the back saying, wow, Peter, that's a great thing that you just did. Okay, <laughs> Acts 11, verses 1 through 4. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying... And then he explained what happened. He wasn't shaken by it. He didn't look at that and say, oh, wow, I wonder if I should have done that. He was <laughs> saying to them, this is what God has opened up to us. This is what our opportunity now is. So he was able to confront the serious social doubts of that whole group and put something bigger in place. So the clarity to combat intellectual doubt here for Peter was what? Well, Peter observed, absorbed, and obeyed God's word. Observed, absorbed, and obeyed. And like you said, that vision came three times. That gave him time to absorb what was happening. And then he went on and obeyed it. And that reminds me of a promise, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
okay? So you've got that God's Word lights the way for us. And you know, the interesting thing about a lamp is it doesn't light the way four miles down the road. It no, lights, it doesn't. lights the way the next few steps. Right in front of you. That's right. That's right. His conviction to neutralize intellectual doubt. We saw the clarity in the observation, absorption, and, and obedience to God's Word. What, is con- it, what was his conviction to neutralize the intellectual doubt of not only himself, but others around him? Well, Rick, Peter went with Gentile strangers without hesitation. Okay. Without hesitation. The fire of action. He had the conviction, that fire of action. Psalm 37, 23, and we've got to wrap this segment up. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps of a man are blessed by God when we're walking in God's way. And Peter's steps literally were set up and established by God. God delighted in Peter doing something that was so incredibly far out of his comfort zone and caused so much initial doubt. It is awesome to realize that God even addressed massive cultural doubts. There is no doubt too big for God's hand. But what about when doubt isn't really big, but it causes us to pause, consider, and even question? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Just because we might not have enormous doubts does not mean we're exempt from doubting. Here again, we'll begin to see that doubting, if handled with scriptural, spiritual maturity, can be a productive tool of spiritual growth. Yes, we can and should strive to create a doubt-friendly mental environment. That's what we should be looking for, a doubt-friendly mental environment. Oh, oh, that's funny. That's funny, Rick. Uh, sounds like puppies and kittens and bubbles. Oh, now, wait a minute. That's not what I'm talking about. But see, Jonathan, okay. You know what I'm talking I, about. I do, and, and sadly, I know what you're talking about. And, you know, you're talking about the, 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 what, what goes on on college campuses today where, where our college students are not capable of dealing with difficult things. And here's the problem that they have. They have too many doubts in their minds, and they become, they become overwrought by things that are outside of their comfort zone. And you know why? They don't have clarity. See, every doubt needs clarity as a base and then conviction. Without clarity of what's right and what's wrong and how things work and what to expect, you can't have conviction. And so you're just an emotional blob. And unfortunately, that's what's been happening to so many people. And doubts are overrunning our world because there's a lack of clarity. And if we want to deal with our doubts, we need spiritual clarity. God's will, God's way, God's word gives you the clarity, and then you can move forward with other things. Let's go back one last time to should Christians have doubts? Remember Impact 360 Institute, and they were you know, talking about intellectual doubts and dealing with them and, and how the word of God is written in such a way to help us with those doubts. By asking honest questions and looking for answers, we gain confidence in the Bible. The problem's not asking questions. The problem is not asking questions. Because if you don't have questions, you can't find answers. 
So raise your doubts, ask good questions, search for answers, and grow in your understanding and confidence in God's Word. So I, I like that soundbite because what it's telling me is doubt is underrated. You know, all doubt isn't bad. It's good to have doubt because doubt can lead you to further clarity and conviction. But if we don't, if we bury the doubts, then we'll never find that clarity and conviction. So we're to use doubt as a tool to grow. Exactly. Wow. That, <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. See, it can be a tool to grow by or a trial to bury us by. And you decide, you've got to decide which way to go. And to use it as a tool, you have to bring it out. And if you're, you're embarrassed about your doubts, then bring those doubts to somebody that you can really, really trust. And embarrassment, I understand that. But you know what? If you have a doubt, it's a legitimate question. And God is good. He'll provide us answers. Okay? So now let's get back to, you know, because you asked the question at the beginning, what, well, what if you don't have a really big doubt, but just those nagging things like, oh, I don't know what to do? Well, doubt as a genuine puzzlement is also in Scripture. It's caused by circumstances that don't necessarily shake you, but they do make you think and process through a dilemma. This doubt can really bring honor to God. So let's go to a very practical example of this kind of doubt. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and we're going to break that up. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Okay, so before we get to the doubt, you see the apostles putting clarity in place. He's saying clarity to combat both intellectual and emotional doubt. Our lack of inconsistency are for the purpose of giving honor to God. So our lack, and sorry, not lack of inconsistency, but lack and inconsistency. Those things exist to praise God. So, Jonathan, when you're inconsistent, when I show lack and we get all embarrassed, that's there to praise God. Why? Because we're incomplete and we can only be completed through Christ. And that praises God. When I was reading uh, these verses and these concepts, I thought of a scripture in Isaiah 30, verse 21. Um, when you're coming to a dilemma, trying to make a decision. It says, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand or you turn to the left. And the, the Lord, will, through his wisdom, through our clarity of God's word, we see all these examples in the Bible. When we come to a crossroads, which way should I turn? And the Lord will lead you in a way that will be the the wholesome, the righteous decision. Yeah, and we've got to be looking for the wholesome, righteous decision, not that's for right. something that's going to appease what I really kind of feel like I want. Right. And, and again, for those of us who experience a lot of emotional doubt, it's important that we seek out those who can understand that emotional doubt with us and walk with us and give us the emotional support, but not just end with emotional support. Because all you're going to do is feel better, and then you're going to go back to the same unclear position. But not so. Give emotional support and and that that sense of yes, I'm here to walk with you, and then something concrete to stand on, a little bit more clarity. You need both. You need both. So let's get back to Greg Tonkinson, faith and doubt. And remember, uh, you know, he was just saying that I began to realize through reading scripture 
that there were answers to my huge and difficult doubts. Somewhere along the line, though, the exhilaration of doubting him was replaced with a serious decision I had to make, a conclusion I had to arrive at. And that was either God is in control, even of my trials and tragedies, or that God isn't in control and will forever put up with my doubting and speculating, even change the course of history based on my suggestions. But if that's the case, then isn't it true that a higher power, by definition, ceases to be just that, a higher power, but rather is reduced to a glorified peer, just with much cooler titles? This peace that I had known because of my faith for over 30 years was being eroded and I wanted that peace back. So I arrived at a significant crossroads. And that was either I'm going to spend my remaining days doubting God's plan or I'm going to spend my remaining days doing His plan. That's powerful stuff. That is. What will I spend my remaining days doing as a result of my doubt? Doubting his plan or doing his plan? And it comes down to how do I truly see God? Do I see him as almighty or just as a peer whom I want to trust, try to change his mind? You know, and how we see God, Jonathan, reflects the clarity. And if the clarity is not there, the conviction by definition cannot follow. So wonderful experience of tragedy turned to something positive through Greg Tonkinson, and we're going to do one more soundbite in just a few minutes to wrap his story up. But Jonathan, back to the Second Corinthian scripture. We have this treasure in earthen vessels because the power of God uh, is going to be shown. Now in verse 8, we get to the point of difficulty and doubt. Verse 8 of Second Corinthians chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. This verse, I would love to just take away, take apart during a, one entire podcast. But we're going to focus on being per, uh, um, perplexed, but not despairing. Because the word for perplexed, what, what does it mean? To have no way out, that is, be at a loss mentally. Now think about this. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's saying we're perplexed. We sometimes have no way out. No way out. We are at a loss. I am at a loss mentally. Okay? I don't know what to do. This is the, the, the great, powerful Apostle Paul who's following Jesus so, so thoroughly. And he got to points where he did not know what to do. But he says we're perplexed, but not despairing. What does the word despairing mean? It means to be utterly at a loss, that is, despond. So he says, we get to a point of being at a loss, not knowing what to do, but we're never at a point of being utterly at a loss, which, where it's useless and hopeless. There's a powerful difference between those two things. There is. We doubt but we're not to the point where the doubt crushes us. So doubt can stymie us, but it does not bring us to utter despair. Why? Well, he answers that question in verses 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Okay, so conviction to combat intellectual and emotional doubt. This is what's in verses 10 and 11. After you expressed this deep, this, this, this doubt that you just don't know what to do. This conviction, uh, our, our, our afflictions, doubts, our persecutions, and our defeats are all for one single purpose, Jonathan. What is that purpose? The purpose of manifesting Jesus in our imperfect selves, Rick. That is the purpose. Now, to be able to get there, you have to have clarity, which is firmness of thought. Once you have the firmness of thought of, this is why I have these experiences, and this is what I will do with these experiences, then you get the fire of action, and that's the conviction. Between firmness of thought, clarity, fire of action, conviction, that's how you deal with both emotional and intellectual doubt. You've got to change the mixture depending on the kind of doubt. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need lots of help. But you need those two ingredients. Let's finish up the story. Uh, Faith and Doubt from Greg Tonkinson. Tragedy is universal. We're all in this together. Perhaps we would be better served if we opened up more spaces free of judgment for people to come and share their aches and anguishes and agonies. Regardless of our religious dispositions, I've learned that there is incredible power in understanding and empathizing with people who are in pain. So may we rejoice and weep together and may we do it well. So he's really saying, let's not be embarrassed about sharing our doubts because that's the way you can find the clarity and you can find the conviction. So really a wonderful, wonderful story that comes out of horrible, horrible tragedy. So Jonathan, again, if doubt can be a faith development tool, and we talked about that, is there a way for my doubt to be helpful to your faith? Well, Rick, no one is perfect. We all have highs and lows. And just like you help raise me up from my doubts all the time, (laughs) I truly appreciate it. Uh, I would feel useful to lend a hand back to you, uh, Lord willing, if I could. You know, that's how the body of Christ works as a team. Uh, It's so powerful to rely on the spirit working in others to give us insight, to, to change where we are and to lift us up back to where we need to be. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a great tool. And the, the important thing is to be able to look back, just like Greg Tonkinson did. He used his tremendous doubt and tragedy as a tool to lift others up. Now, yes. he had to get through it, but it became a tool of power. So How inspiring. Yes, and so our doubt as fellowship members of the prospective body of Christ can really be contributory to those around us. So, you know, going through it doesn't feel so good, but afterwards, think of who you can help. Think of what, what, what value you can bring by being able to share the difficulties of your own experience. Jonathan, I want to wrap this up. This is kind of a weird way to wrap this up, but let's look at doubt used to create a dilemma. And you say, what? This next example of doubt is from those who are using their doubt as bait for fulfilling their own agenda. And yes, I'm talking about the Pharisees. And they, they had doubts about Jesus, and they were using it 
as bait to create trouble. So, you know, doubt we are talking about you can turn it positive, you can turn it positive. Well, this is a really negative example. John 10, 23 to 26. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple of the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? So literally what that means is how long will you lift up our soul? That's the literal words. How long are you going to keep us off the ground and not give us a grounding on who and what you are? So what's their question? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. So Jesus says, I've already told you, I've, I've alleviated your doubts. You're just being stubborn, and that's on you. Such doubt is fed by pride and deceit, and it will ultimately lead to judgment upon those who have it. Don't go there to use your doubts to stimulate trouble. Never do that. Let's go back to two as we wrap this up. Two final promises to give clarity and conviction in our overcoming of our doubts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And Rick, that's engraved in my ring from my lovely wife. So a powerful promise that gives us a sense of strength in looking to the Lord. Matthew 6, 26, uh, 32, and 33. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's a verse that I try to live by every day of my life, and it's a verse that helps me to understand the importance of putting God first, whatever the doubt, whatever the circumstances might be. So folks, remember, doubt is intellectual and it's emotional and a combination of both. The recipe for dealing with it is always clarity and conviction, but they come in different ways as well. So uh, what we want to do is be able to understand where our doubt comes from so that we can do the right things to alleviate the troubles of that doubt and then share it with others so they can grow by it. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. This is such an important subject for all of us to take home and work with and make doubt a tool. Until next week, think about it. And folks, remember, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, oh, this is a good one. We'll be talking about, is the hell of Christian tradition taught in the Bible. Talk to you next week.